episode number 22. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from Authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliel Mitterhoff with the Higher Life Podcast. In this week's podcast, we're going to be discussing a powerful parable about the unused loan. The Torah portion of the week is Maaseh, Breaking Good, How to Escape a Bad Influence. We're going to have a great story about Rav Aaron Cutler and Peace in Your Home, Honor the Parents. So the Chavetz Chaim brings this parable. One day when a rich man was walking down the street, a poor man came up to him and said, can you please do me a favor? Can you lend me $5,000? He says, that's an awful lot of money. Usually I only lend out $200 at a time. I could help 25 people with that amount of money. The poor man said, you know I used to be wealthy. If you give me that $5,000, I'll be able to start a business again and get back on my feet. So the rich man said, if that's the case, that's what you want to do. So I'll help you out came a year later for the man to pay back the money, and he gives him the money in the exact same envelope that he was lent in, and the exact same bills. So the rich man said, what is this? This is the exact same money that I lent you. Did you didn't you do anything with it? You pleaded with me that you needed to start a new business, and what did you do? You just took the money and put it in a drawer, and no one else could use it? How could you do such a thing? So that's the mushal. The nimshal is that God gives us a soul, which is a precious treasure beyond any price. And he gave it to us to do businesses in this world. In other words, to learn Torah and to do mitzvahs. But what do we do in our foolishness? We take this precious treasure and we leave it in some forgotten corner. And we don't even use it at all. What's going to be when we have to bring our souls back to our owner? God will see that we didn't even use our souls. How are we going to explain that? This week's Torah portion is Maaseh. And the first verse says like this, These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out from the land of Egypt in their host under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And Moses wrote their goings out according to their journeys by the word of God. And these are their journeys according to the goings out. So Rav Mir from Gateshead has a couple of questions. First of all, we see that the first half of the verse spoke like this. Moses wrote that their goings out are according to their journeys. So goings out means coming out of Egypt. And according to their journeys means where they were going, the goal, which is Eretz Yisrael. Obviously, it took 40 years. But this whole week's Parsha is about all the stops that the Jewish people made through the desert. So when Moses spoke, he spoke out their goings out according to their journeys. In other words, the goal, the most important thing was where they were going, not where they were coming from. And there it says, by the word of God. And the second half of the verse switches their journeys according to their goings out. So really not that the goal was the most important thing, but the going out was the most important thing. So why this switch? That's the first question. And the second question is, why in the first half, where the goal, which is actually set out the most important thing, is specifically said by the word of God? So one of the questions that Chazal has is why was it necessary for the Jewish people to wander through the desert so laboriously for 40 years? There must have been some purpose to it. So Rashi quotes the famous Midrash Tanchuma that says like this, It may be compared to a case of a king 
who took his sick son to the distant place to be cured. On the son's recovery, while they were returning home, the father pointed out at every stopping place what had happened on their way on their outward journey, saying to him, here we slept, here we caught a cold, here you had a headache. So from here we learned that the travel through the desert was a cleansing procedure. It was to purge the Jewish people of their spiritual sicknesses that they received from being in the culture of Egypt, which was immoral and impure. So in order to rehabilitate the Jewish people morally and spiritually, they had to go through the desert in order to enter into the land of Israel, which was a holy place. Interestingly enough, the Chadusha Alev says that these were not just sicknesses, they were rebellions and transgressions. The different places in the Parsha where the Jewish people stopped were all named after what happened in these places. Very bad things happen. So he says, the mushroom that the Midrash Tanchuma brings doesn't make any sense. Why would a father recall the ingratitude and chutzpah that his son displayed to him? So we learn from here that the Midrash doesn't look at it that way. God doesn't look at it that way. He just looks at it as a sickness, as an illness. My children are sick. They don't appreciate everything that I do for them. They rebel, but it's only because they don't understand. So the Midrash also teaches us another side point, which is God doesn't look at our transgressions as intrinsically evil, but rather as a sickness, which means God loves us so much, he just looks at us as a child that needs help. That's a side point. So we see the first reason that we were brought through the desert was to purify us spiritually from all the problems and the society and the culture that we had in Mitzrayim. There's another Midrash Tanchuma that gives a second reason like this. God said, If I lead them on the simple route, each one would occupy himself with his field and his vineyard and would neglect Torah study. In other words, if he would go straight into Eretz Yisrael, he was so involved with the physical world, he would just start to plant and just got involved with making money. Therefore, I'm going to lead them on the way through the wilderness where they eat manna and drink the waters of the well, and the Torah will settle in them. So that's the second reason why we spent 40 years in the desert, which was to get our values straight. By going through the desert and having all our physical needs taken care of, we got clear what the purpose of this life is about. And we didn't neglect Torah. And the third reason why we had to go through the desert for 40 years, because the Pasuk says, God was afraid we were going to change our minds. In Shmos, it says like this, And God did not want the people to change their minds the moment they saw the fighting return to Egypt. So those were the three reasons why we had to go through the 40 years in the desert. So back to the original question as what was the difference between us going out of Egypt as compared to the goal which is coming to Eretz Yisrael? So the Magid Madubna gives a beautiful parable. He says like this. One time there was a boy whose mother died and the father married a new wife. But the boy did not get along at all with the stepmother. So the father was just praying that his boy can get married and get out of the house. So finally he found a wonderful family and a wonderful girl and he's all excited and he tells his son, now we're going to go and you're going to go get married in this other town to this girl. So on the way... The son kept asking the driver, how far have we traveled so far? How far are we away from my town? And the father kept asking, how much longer do we have to go? When are we going to get there? So the explanation is that the son, who had such a hard time with his stepmother, was just interested in how far he was going to get away from her. The father, on the other hand, understood the great family and the great girl his son was about to get married to, so he was so excited about the goal. So Moses, who understood the value of Eretz Yisrael, the spiritual value of coming into Israel, 
when he spelled it out, he spoke about the goal. His focus was on the goal. He said the goings out according to their journeys, which is the goal. But the Jewish people who were not aware of the goal, their focus was on leaving Egypt, which is a whole other aspect which discussed of purification and breaking away from that culture. I just want to explain the value of being in Eretz Israel, the value of living in Israel. In Kesubas, the Gemara says, one should always live in Israel, even in a city where most inhabitants are worship idols. Because it says that someone who lives in Israel is considered as if he has a God. And someone who doesn't live in Israel is considered like he doesn't have a God. So the Ran said, he explains that, that only Israel is under God's direct control. All the other lands are in the direction of the stars and the constellations. And he says it's much easier to rebel against God outside of Israel. He says sarcastically, this is not like those pious people who mistakenly insist the religious experience is identical in both places for good and for bad. Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, has a special quality that helps a person to be more spiritual. Moshe Rabbeinu understood that. So that was his focus, which was the goal. I know there's a Rambam that explained that really only in Eretz Israel can a person do the mitzvahs. Outside Eretz Israel, the Rambam holds, it's just like practicing the mitzvahs. But the mitzvahs themselves can only actually be done in Eretz Israel. There's another Gemara that says, whoever lives in Israel lives without sin. So the Panei Yeshua says, wait a second, come on, we know there is tons of Jews that didn't sin in Eretz Israel. So he explains that somebody comes with the commandment of settling the land, based on that, he will repent and won't have any sin. But if he just happens to be born here, or he's a nice place to live, so then it's not going to have the same influence on him. And Rabbeinu Bachi explains the Pesach that says, Israel is the land that God attends to constantly. He says God is also concerned with the countries of the world, but God's influence comes from Israel and goes out to the world. It's like a man's heart, which is the center of the body. So we see there's many Chazals that talk about the power of Israel. Moshe Rabbeinu understood after 40 years, that's where we're going to go, it's going to have a tremendous positive influence on the Jewish people. But in the meantime, we need to, we need it to be weaned from the culture of Mitzrayim, Egypt. So Rav Sadiq Cohen explains that when the Jews left Mitzrayim, it was very hard for them to break away from that culture. The Rambam says that Paro, Pharaoh, was the epitome of the evil inclination. And Rav Dessler wants to explain from that that when the Pasuk says the Jews were pursued by Pharaoh, it means their evil inclination were following them. In other words, even when we left Mitzrayim, we still had tremendous desires to do bad things. Also, the Mabam explains that we couldn't just leave that culture all at once. He says a muscle like this, it's like a man wants to move from a very warm country into a cold country. So the doctor prescribed that he should move little by little he should go from the warmer area to the colder area till he adjusts. He can't just all of a sudden go from a warm country into a freezing country. He'll die. And this was God's prescription for the Jewish people in order to make them a holy people. So in order to break us down and to remove us from the culture of Egypt, God had to bring us 40 years through the desert. He said, if not, we would have came into Israel and we just would have been busy all day with our Parnassah trying to make money. We would have forgot about the Torah. As soon as we felt it was unsafe, we would have ran away. So God slowly had to remove us and put faith into our hearts to bring us into Israel. So we know there's a Pasik in Tehillim that says, Tsur Meira Tov. There's two parts to becoming righteous. First, it's Sur Meira. Remove yourself from evil, from what's bad. 
The second half is Asay Tov, do good. But there are two separate influences. I know there's a yeshiva here in Israel for boys who a little bit went off the derech a little bit. And his main focus is Surmira. First, he has to stop the boys from going to town, from being with girls, from drinking, from doing all kinds of things. How is it possible to become righteous if you're still doing bad? We know the famous Shari Tshuva, this is like going in a mikvah, jumping in a mikvah with a sharetz in your hand. You're holding a snake, but you're jumping into the mikvah. It's not going to help you. You're still going to be tamay. You're still going to be impure. So this is a very big lesson. A person really has to think about what am I doing wrong? And he has to drop those things before he starts thinking about doing good and doing the right things. We have to do a cheshbon and nefesh, an accounting of our souls, and think about what are we doing wrong. If we can remove the wrong things, we're more than halfway there. We can't expect to be really spiritual if we're still doing things wrong. So that's the message here. Sit down, think about your day, think about your week, and think about what am I doing wrong that I can eliminate? What can I let go of? The Ramchal says like this, Only if a man keeps watch over himself, will the Holy One, blessed be he, help him and deliver him from the hands of the evil inclination. But if he fails to do so, the Holy One, blessed be he, will surely not watch over him. For if he has no pity on himself... Who will have pity on him? It is forbidden, says our sages, to have compassion upon one who has spurned knowledge. Similarly, they say, if I am not for myself, then who will be for me? We are only going to get help from God to purify ourselves if we take the first step. It's in our hands. If a person wonders why is God not helping me, he should think about why is he not helping himself? It's only after we remove ourselves from bad things that we can start to really advance towards the true good. And it's only at that point that God is really going to help us to do good. And that explains the answer to the second question we had. When it came to the first half of the verse, which is focusing on the goal, the goings out according to their journeys, it says there, by the word of God. In other words, it's only God at that point and then he's going to help us to do good. The only way that we're going to really do good is with the help of God. To leave the evil, that has to come from us. That has to originate with our own personal effort. But I say tov, that's only going to come with, with the help of God. Because at that point, we get siyat dishmaya. We get God's help. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. It says that Rav Aaron Cutler used to say to the Balabatim, to the leaders of the community, the purpose of the yeshiva is not the Rosh Yeshivas or the Rabbanim, but simply the development of true B'nai Torah, which means children of Torah, versed not only the fundamentals of Torah, but also in the nature of the Torah, to whom the Torah is the throb and pulse of life. And that's going to secure the Torah of Klai Yisrael and the future of the Jewish people. It's not just the knowledge of Torah, he explained. It's the approach. It's the understanding what Torah is. Ravaron used to say, Torah is above time and space. And just because we're in America and the context doesn't seem to fit, we can't change it. He said, form follows function. And therefore, he kept his yeshiva in the classic yeshiva mold, even though they were in a modern America. 
He said, Torah is the purpose and goal of creation, the destiny of the Jew, the highest form of worship, and the consummation of the divine will, both the means and the ends of human fulfillment. Only through Torah does a man unite with his creator, for God and his word are one. This causes man to rise above the mundane and to be truly spiritual, to be holy, and to become immortal. Torah is the source where all holiness flows from. Rav Aaron used to laugh and he said, some people think that other mitzvahs are comparable to Torah. He said, Torah is as infinite as a creator and no man can claim to complete it. It creates the greatest reward in the next world. The greater the diligence, the greater the reward. It's the B'nai Torah, the children of Torah, the people who sit and learn all day, will be at the pinnacle of the world to come. He says, time wasted from Torah is the source of all evil. The gravest of sins, for it subverts the nature and purpose of creation. Since it's the whole purpose of creation, if you don't do it, it's a perversion. And he ends off like this by saying that by King David said, Were not for my Torah being my delight, I would succumb to my poverty. So he's like, gosh, what do you mean his poverty? David Amalek was one of the richest people that ever lived. He was a multimillionaire. No. David considered himself, by not learning Torah, I'm in poverty. What am I, just physical? It's only Torah that can lift a person up out of this physical world. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. Rev. Victor Miller speaks about honoring the parents. Every father should openly admonish the children and honor and obey their mother. In other words, the father should tell the kids, you have to listen to your mother. And the mother should tell the kids, you have to listen to the father. That's going to bring peace into the house. The parents should tell them, that honoring your parents bestows longer lives and more happiness on those people that don't honor their parents. But if chas v'shalom, God forbid, a child hears one parent berating the other, a terrible destruction is caused to the holiness of the home. The parents speak against each other in front of the children. It affects the holiness of the home. The children should never witness it. And each husband and wife should say to each other, thank you and please. The father should tell the children to say thank you to the mother when she gives you food. He says this, he says, this may be a novelty to some who think their mother must serve them. But why should the mother serve anyone? And if she decides to serve, so at least let the children say thank you. He says, when a frum kid, a religious kid, doesn't say thank you to his mother, but he's very makbid, he's always strict to say the bracha, his bracha is worthless. Because if he can't say thank you to his mother, who he knows and he sees, surely the bracha, the blessing that he's saying to God, who he can't see, can't be worth much. The mother should instruct the children, the father's always first, first to eat, and first to speak at the table. And the father should always say, the mother's first to speak before the children. It's these attitudes that are going to bring peace in your home. That's the end of this week's podcast. Please share it with your friends and leave comments. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit rabbiminterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments. 